So how many of you guys uh, read the Babylon Bee? I think it's hilarious. I confess that I read it every day. A few years back, they published this report, Scandal. John Piper photographed collecting seashells. A lot of people think scandal. And it really is pretty funny if you know who John Piper is and you know what the reference to seashells is all about. In fact, if you just search Piper seashells, you're going to find a ton of stuff about an extraordinarily powerful sermon that he preached. Now, I'm not a Piper fan. In fact, I get annoyed at a lot of what he says, but I kind of think that he hit the nail on the head with this sermon. May 20th, 2000, 21 years ago, Memphis, Tennessee, at a passion conference speaking to 40,000 students. This is just a part of what they heard. You don't have to know a lot of things in order to make a huge difference for the Lord in the world. But you do need to know a few things that are great and be willing to live for them and die for them. People that make a difference in the world are not people who have mastered a lot of things. They are people who have been mastered by a very few things that are very, very great. If you want your life to count, you don't have to have a high IQ and you don't have to have a high EQ. You don't have to be smart. You don't have to have good looks. You don't have to be from a good family or from a good school. You just have to know a few basic, simple, glorious, majestic, obvious, unchanging, eternal things and be gripped by them and be willing to lay down your life for them, which is why anybody in this crowd can make a worldwide difference, because it isn't you. It's what you're gripped with. But one of the really sad things about this moment right now is that there are hundreds of you in this crowd who do not want your life to make a difference. All you want is to be liked. Maybe finish school, get a good job, find a husband or a wife, a nice house, a nice car, long weekends, good vacations, grow old healthy, have a fun retirement, die easy, no hell. And that's all you want. And you don't give a rip whether your life counts on this earth for eternity. And that's a tragedy in the making. That is a tragedy in the making. About three weeks ago, we got news at our church that Ruby Eliason, 
and Laura Edwards were killed in Cameroon. Ruby Eliasson, over 80, single all her life, a nurse, poured her life out for one thing, to make Jesus Christ known among the sick and the poor in the hardest and most unreached places. Laura Edwards, a medical doctor in the Twin Cities, and then in retirement, partnering up with Ruby, also pushing 80, and going from village to village in Cameroon. And the brakes give way, over a cliff they go, and they're dead instantly. And I asked my people, is this a tragedy? Two women in their 80s, almost, a, a whole life devoted to one idea, Jesus Christ magnified among the poor and the sick in the hardest places. And 20 years after most of their American counterparts had begun to throw their lives away on trivialities in Florida and New Mexico, fly into eternity with a death in a moment. Is this a tragedy, I asked? It is not a tragedy. I'll read you what a tragedy is. I've got a little article here from Reader's Digest. You don't read Reader's Digest, I know that. But there is a generation who does. This is a tragedy. Title of the article, Start Now, Retire Early, February 1998. Bob and Penny took early retirement from their jobs in the Northeast five years ago when he was 59 and she was 51. Now they live in Punta Gorda, Florida, where they cruise on their 30-foot trawler, play softball, and collect shells. That's a tragedy. That's a tragedy. And there are people in this country that are spending billions of dollars to get you to buy it. And I get 40 minutes to plead with you, don't buy it. With all my heart, I plead with you, don't buy that dream. The American dream, a nice house, a nice car, a nice job, a nice family, a nice retirement, collecting shells as the last chapter before you stand before the creator of the universe to give an account with what you did. Here it is, Lord, my shell collection. Look, Lord, 
my shell collection. And I've got a good swing. And look at my boat. God, look at my boat, God. Well, not for Ruby and not for Laura. Don't waste your life. Don't waste it. I... Made a profound influence on those who listened. Some call it the sermon that transformed a generation. Don't waste your life. No kidding. I remember about 20 years ago here at Capital City, a precious old lady named Margaret Yancey. She could barely see, barely walk. In physical pain nearly constantly, I preached a sermon kind of like that one, although not nearly as powerful. And afterwards, Margaret came up to me crying. She wanted to serve God, didn't know how. There was so little she could do physically. <laughs> what an amazing heart. She was so precious to God, I think. Listen, guys, you do not have to do medical work in the Cameroon to finish well. I remember Ray Burton. <laughs> wife sitting in the back of the room now you'll find his name in one of our elevators the plaque says there are no wheelchairs in heaven he battled vascular disease as I remember about 25 surgeries both of his legs were gone he asked me to come to his house before he died showed me his prayer journal told me that he prayed through it five days a week four hours a day praying for every single person in this church family by name every day. <laughs> he says, I can't do anything anymore. All I can do is pray. Well, I don't think anybody ever did more for this church family than Ray. He was a warrior. My preaching partner is Randy Kirk over in Cordon, Indiana. His dad was in the hospital recently dying, and his dad was fretting. He says, I can't do anything for anybody anymore. That's what he kind of lived for. And Randy asked him, if you prayed for the nurses, the doctors? Day before he died, Randy went to see him and he told Randy, he says, I, I prayed for her. In fact, I prayed with her. Wow. To have a purpose bigger than yourself, to serve something bigger than yourself, don't focus on what you can't do. Where can you move the needle even a little? Listen, guys, do you really believe, do you believe your life matters? Because it can. Do you believe God, God Almighty, can use you, little old you, whoever you are, because he can? Do you believe that God can still use you? Wherever you've been, whatever you've done, God can still use you now. Because he will. Do you believe God wants to use you? Because he does. And do you believe that being used by God will make your life better? Do you? Will. Guys, we're not making this stuff up. I, I know what happens. I know how a lot of churches work. We go find a church where we can be served, right? We find a church where we like the service, right? And that is part of it, I think. But did you know that those of us that you hire 
Our job is not to serve God for you. Our job is to equip and challenge you to serve your God. The Apostle Paul put it like this. He says, these are the gifts that Christ gave to the church, the apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. Our responsibility, he says, is to equip you guys to do his work and build up the church, the body of Christ. You buy that? Our job is to train you, challenge you, encourage you. Did you know, <coughs> excuse me, that there's really no such a thing as an associate membership in a church family? There was a pretty funny line of commercials a few years ago back from Holiday Inn. They picture this 30-something kid still living at home, expecting his mom and his dad and his grandma to wait on him hand and foot. And they always answer at the end of the commercial, what do you think this is, a Holiday Inn? And his grandma just cackles and laughs at him. I think that's how a lot of people picture the church. Holiday Inn. We exist to serve you. Guys, this is not a hotel. This is a home. The family. Everybody has a role to play. We're all contributors to this thing, not just consumers. And did you know... Did you know that when it comes to serving God, I really can't find anything in the scripture that justifies retirement. A whole lot of people who kind of retire at church about the same time they retire at their secular job. Someone else's turn now, right? When they still have all of these gifts and maybe even more time and resources, but someone else's turn, right? How does that work? Listen, guys, the nature of your service might change, but the mandate does not. When does God expect us to morph from a contributor to a consumer? Now, I've made several assumptions. I have made the assumption that God created every single one of us to serve and that all of us are going to be called by God to serve and that every single person here has been gifted by God to serve and that counterintuitively, serving God's going to make your life better. You buy that? Let me show you. There's a powerful verse in a little letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to a Jesus followers in a town called Ephesus. And this is what he says. He says, we are God's handiwork. You are God's handiwork. Why? You were created in Christ Jesus to do good works. Works that God has already prepared in advance for you to do. In other words, he says, every single one of us was crafted on purpose by God in part to work alongside God. Good News Bible puts it like this. God has made us what we are. And in our union with Christ, Jesus has created us for a life of good deeds. That's what he made us for. Which he has already prepared for us to do. Maybe the message puts it best. The message says, God creates each of us by Christ to join him in the work that he does, the good works. He has already gotten ready for us to do things that we'd better be doing. God made you with the capacity to make a difference. He made you with the capacity to meet some needs when we don't meet those needs. Do they always get met? 
We were made by God on purpose, for a purpose, for a purpose bigger than building our own little kingdom. It's not about me. It's not about you. It's about a life with God, for God, right? And God didn't just create you to make a difference. I mean, I've suggested that God has given you so many different gifts that you can use to make a difference. You've been gifted by God to serve. And when God gives you gifts, he expects you to use them for something other than just yourself. Apostle Peter says God has given gifts to each one of us, to every single one of us, from his great variety of spiritual gifts. Manage them well so God's generosity can flow through you. Not to you, but through you. How cool is that? What can you do? What do you like to do? What are the kind of things you do well? How can you use any of that to make a difference for God? One more. Family of God needs you to do your part. Guys, if I don't fulfill the serve roles that God has given me, I think you get cheated. When you don't fulfill the serve opportunities God gives you, we get cheated. Those that we're supposed to serve get cheated. The Bible says that all of us are necessary parts of this family, this body of Christ. Here's the way the Bible puts it. It says, all of you together, all of you together are Christ's body. Each of you is a separate and necessary part of it. We all contribute to this thing. Rick Warren put it like this. He said, what if your liver said to the rest of your body, I think I'm going to take some time off serving. I think I'm just going to spend this year getting fed. You'd probably be thinking to yourself, it's not supposed to quite work that way, is it? So we have work to do, guys. Should that be a scary thing? Guys, I don't think that serving God is supposed to be onerous. I want to live a life that matters. I want you to live a life that matters. I want us to build a family here that matters to people forever. To be used by God, to be able to work alongside, to be able to contribute to something way bigger than just me and mine. How cool is that? It's what we were made for. You were called by God into ministry. It's a churchy word, I kind of hate that. But do you know what ministry means? you know what it came from? It's a Latin word that's used to translate a Greek word. In Greek, the word is diakonos. Sometimes we just say deacon or deaconess. In Latin, the word is minister. In English, all it means is servant. Literally, it means that you're a servant. A minister is a servant. I'm a servant of God. You are a servant of God if you're a Jesus follower. It means we're servants. We're people who serve People are recognized that God has given us gifts so that we can live a life that matters. And our ministry, our service doesn't have to be spiritual. What can you do? It can be cleaning toilets, changing diapers, changing the oil in a widow's car. It can be making a phone call, writing a note, listening to someone who needs to talk. Can be volunteering at a school, at a church, baking cookies for the Amazon delivery guys. 
You don't have to be a theologian to do ministry. You don't have to be a super saint to do ministry. You don't have to be ordained or be voted into some church office to do ministry. It's simply loving on people in the name of Jesus. Might be meeting their physical needs. We're meeting people's physical needs in the name of Jesus. That is ministry. In fact, Jesus put it like this. He says, I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty and you gave me a drink. I was a stranger. You invited me into your home. I was naked. You gave me clothing. I was sick and you cared for me. I was in prison and you visited me. What he means is this. When you give food to someone because you're a Jesus follower, when you give someone thirsty a drink because you're a Jesus follower, when you befriend someone who's lonely, when you give clothing to someone who is poor, when you take care of someone who is sick, when you're there for somebody who finds life collapsing around them because you're a Jesus follower. That's ministry. And Jesus says, when you do it for one of the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you're actually doing it for me. Which of us can't do that kind of stuff? Maybe it's not meeting someone's physical needs. Maybe it's about meeting some emotional needs in the name of Christ. Do you know that meeting the emotional needs of your brothers and sisters is ministry? Listen to how the Apostle Paul put it in 1 Thessalonians. He says, we urge you to warn those who are lazy, encourage those who are timid, take care of those who are weak, and be patient with everyone. So when you give a word of counsel, when you give a word of encouragement, when you give a word of comfort because you're a Christian, that is ministry. When you share someone's tears, when you listen, really listen to someone who needs to talk, when you send that card or offer a cup of coffee but you're, because you're a Christian, it's ministry. Every one of us can do stuff like that, can't we? Some ministry is taking care of physical needs. Some is taking care of emotional needs. Some is taking care specifically of spiritual needs. And listen, guys, that's a ministry that God has given to every single one of us. That's not someone else's job. The Bible says all of this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave all of us, all of us, the ministry of reconciliation, bringing people back to God. Therefore, you're Christ's ambassadors as though God is making his appeal through you. When you lead someone to God, when you connect someone with God, when you nudge someone towards God, that's ministry. When you put anybody in touch with God's grace and his forgiveness, with God's truth, that's ministry. When you push someone to grow up as a Christian, that's ministry. So how are you doing? Serve them. Here's the challenge. Maybe, I doubt it, but maybe there are some of you who can't think of a single time in your life when you have served someone else selflessly. Just love on them. Just nudge them towards Jesus. If that's you, my challenge is this. Try it. Give it a shot. Serve someone just because you're a Jesus follower. You can do it. He'll open up a door for you. Trust me. Maybe some of you guys, you already serve occasionally. Jesus Prom comes around, you sign in. Maybe one of our serve days, you sign in. You do serve occasionally, but it's not a habit. My challenge to you is this, make it a habit. 
Serve God every single day. Look for a way to serve your God by loving on someone, helping someone, nudging someone towards Jesus every single day. Ask God every single day for an opportunity to do something like that. Make it a habit. It's who you are now. And maybe there are some of you in the room that serve regularly, but you have chosen a route to service that doesn't cost you much. Sometimes we do the easy things so we don't feel as guilty about avoiding the harder things. You're not being pushed. You're not being challenged in your service. Some of you guys need to get into trenches because you're satisfied cheering from the sidelines. We don't need service wusses. Some of us need to step it up. And perhaps... There are a few of you, I don't know, that God might nudge to serve radically. Maybe you are one of those who needs to be doing medical work in the Cameroon. And if God nudges you to do something way out of your comfort zone, guys, if it's God nudging you, don't push back. We're supposed to be the salt of the earth and the light of the world, right? Pointing them towards Jesus. Don't be satisfied doing the little things if God is nudging you to do something bigger. This is for all of us, guys. When God nudges us, just go with it. Don't settle. God has given this church family such incredible gifts. You've got them. And there are so many things that God has given you the ability to do, to move the needle, to... Make a difference. Look around. See what needs to be done. Sense where God draws your eyes. Sense where he nudges your heart. Maybe at times you've looked around and said, that needs to be done. Maybe with his help, you can be the one to do it. Instead of someone ought to do that, maybe that's you. You might think you're not that gifted, but God has done amazing things with very ordinary gifts. So guys, it's time to fish or cut bait, isn't it? Someday we're going to stand before our Creator, and as Piper said, we're going to give an account of what we did with His gifts. Are you going to present God with your slice of the American dream? Nice house, nice car, nice job, nice family, nice retirement. You're going to look at him and say, look, God, my shell collection. Look at my shell collection. I've got a great golf swing, God. Look at my boat, God. Look at my boat. Don't settle. Don't waste your life. When God nudges, say yes.